Let's go ahead and take our seats. How many of you are up for a little experiment right now? Dang it. Look, when I say stuff like that, here's what you do. Yeah! yeah. Like that. Okay, wait a minute. How many of you are up for like an experiment? Okay, great. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes. I can see if you're doing it or not. Close your eyes. And I'm going to say one word, and I want you to see what image pops into your head. And the word is church. Okay, open your eyes because I don't want people falling asleep. When I said the word church, something popped into your head. And for most people, what popped into your head was a building, right? And maybe it was a very elaborate cathedral, or maybe it was like some old country church, or maybe it was a giant urban megachurch, or maybe it was a red brick building with a white steeple, or maybe it was a big old metal shed on 281. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's what comes to our minds most of the time when we think of church. But biblically, a church isn't a building at all. The word church in the Bible is a translation of a Greek word, ecclesia, which is actually a gathering. It's a, an assembly of people that have been called out. So the biblical meaning of the word church is not a building. It's a people. Biblically, a church isn't made out of sticks and bricks and metal and wire. Biblically, the church is made out of people. It's made out of us. It's a, it's a community of people who are all different and who are all called and who are all called together and united in Christ, like a family. In fact, this theme of togetherness, this theme of like family and community and church is, is pretty prevalent through the New Testament. Um, it starts in Acts 2, 42. This is right after the Holy Spirit has come and empowered these people to do these amazing things. And the Bible says that right when that happened, it says the believers formed a community. It was the first biblical church. And that church worshiped together and served together and did ministry together and ate together and hung out together and God changed the world through that church together. And then really the whole book of Acts is about what God did through the church, through this group, through this community of people. And in the New Testament, we see Paul, especially in Acts, we see Paul going around doing all this amazing stuff. Oh, he's starting churches and preaching, and writing. He's uh, healing people and doing miracles and raising the dead and going all over on ships and camels and everything. He's doing all this amazing stuff, but you almost never see him doing it by himself. Right? He's always got Silas right? or Barnabas or Timothy or a group of people or a whole huge community of people. And in fact, Almost nobody in the New Testament ever does anything that matters by themselves. They're always doing it in community. And Paul writes a lot of letters of instruction to all these new believers that are scattered all around the world. He writes a lot of these letters. These are like the books of the New Testament, right? Romans and Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Corinthians. Those are instructions that Paul is sending people. And what's really interesting is almost 100% of the time, his instructions are given as second person plural imperatives. And what that means is he's not saying you should live like this. He's saying y'all. 
he's saying, use guys, right? He's, 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 it's, it's, it's not for a person. It's for a people. And so this recurring theme of the community of believers isn't just really important. It's central. It's core. It's, it's key to the story of the New Testament. In fact, as you look through the New Testament, I guess just to make sure we get that, to make sure that we understand the value of this togetherness, this community, this family, this church, um, the Bible describes us. The Bible describes the church in a couple of different like recurring metaphors or expressions, and they come up a lot, and you've heard of them. It describes us as family. I mean, think of how many scriptures you can think of in the New Testament that talk about us being in the family of God. Here's a good one, 1 John 3, 1. See how much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that's what we are. If he's our Father, what does that make us to each other? It makes us brothers and sisters and, and family. So that's one of the ways it ref, the Bible refers to us as a church is as family. Um, one of the ways it refers to us a lot is as a body, as one body, the body of Christ. So 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, all of you together, all of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. So it's, we're just like all parts of a physical body. We all have a part to play, we all have a job to do, but also we're all completely connected to each other and we're all completely dependent on each other. So the, the Bible's trying to get us to see these ideas of being together, these ideas of us being connected, this idea of us being in community. Here's how Peter describes it. He calls us living stones, living stones. This is 1 Peter 2, 5. He says, you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. Here's what's interesting. In that passage, the word you, is it singular or plural? It's plural, man, it's y'all. Right? And the word stones, is that singular or plural? That's plural. And the word temple, is that singular or plural? It's singular. So isn't that kind of an interesting thing? Peter's not saying that y'all are a bunch of individual tiny temples at all. What he's saying is y'all are the stones, right? plural, that God is building into his singular spiritual temple. So all of us come together building blocks, like living stones to build this temple where the Holy Spirit lives. That's not just these verses, man. That this theme of togetherness and family and community, the, the idea of, 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 of church community isn't, isn't just common in the New Testament. It is pervasive. Community and church are a core part of the New Testament story. And I've heard people say, and maybe you've heard somebody say this, well, you know, I've seen a lot of hypocrisy in the church because there's no hypocrisy outside the church, right? I've seen a lot of hypocrisy. I've seen a lot of hypocrisy in the church. So you know what? I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in the church. Here's the problem with that. Jesus believed in the church. In fact, he established the church. In Matthew 16, Jesus said, I will build my church. Jesus established the church. Jesus is the head of the church. Ephesians 1.22 says, God has put all things in together under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church, and the church is his body. Jesus established the church. Jesus is the head of the church, and we are the church. And as his church, Jesus calls us to follow him together. In fact, in uh, John 17, Jesus prays for us. Did you know that? You know Jesus prayed for you? 
Jesus prayed for us in John 17, 21. And what's funny is he didn't pray for that we'd have great theology. And he didn't pray that we would have perfect morality. He prayed that we'd have unity. He didn't, he didn't pray that we'd always be right. He prayed that we would be one. He didn't pray that we would always do life right. He prayed that we would always do life together. In fact, in John 13, 34, Jesus said that the, the way people would recognize us as his disciples, right? The identifying characteristic of his people wouldn't be how smart we are. And it wouldn't even be how moral we are. He said the world would see him and be drawn to him through us when they see our love for each other. So a huge part of following Jesus, a huge part of letting the world see Jesus through us, a huge part of us being the answer to Jesus' prayer is that we would have community. And not just community, unity. And so the question is, how do we put unity in our community? And it can be a challenge. And it can especially be a challenge when we have an interdenominational church where a whole lot of people are coming from a whole lot of different backgrounds and ideologies. And I've thought about this a lot. God, how, this, this keeps me up at night, man. How can, we, how can we keep unity in our community? Like, how do we, how do we look at all of us? Like, we're all different. How, how do we do that? How do we keep unity in our community? And one idea I had, um, if everybody just does everything exactly like I want them to, we have perfect unity. Perfect unity, right? If, if, if no dis- there'll be no disagreements. If everybody just do what I want them to do, we would have perfect unity. Let me ask you this. Okay, so if you're sitting next to a person that thinks they're the general manager of the universe, point at them right now. I want to pick somebody, her, okay, right there, stand up, stand up, yeah. Tell us your name. Trish. Trish. So Trish thinks she's the boss of everything, right? But let me say this, can we agree, can we agree to this? Even right or wrong, if everybody would just do everything the way Trish wants them to, think the way she wants them to, act the way she wants them to, live the way she, talk the way she wants them to. We might be a mess, but we would have unity. True or false? True. Okay, thanks, Trish. You can sit down now and smack your husband for saying that. (laughs) So this is a pretty good plan. Just, let's just all do what Trish wants us to do. Let's just all act like she wants us to, behave like she wants us to, talk and dress and eat and sleep and do everything exactly the way. That's a, that's, that's a pretty good plan, but that's apparently not God's plan because the biblical solution for unity is not everybody doing what Trish wants them to do or what I want them to do. That's, that's not unity, that's uniformity, right? The biblical plan for unity in our community is not for us to look alike or think alike or act alike or talk alike. The biblical plan for unity in our community is for each of us to fully, intentionally love one another. And the New Testament gives us lots of instructions about how. In fact, I sent you guys an email this week. I know you all read it from cover to cover. So um, in that email, I attached a document. And that document contains 35 biblical instructions, about 60 verses in the New Testament that use the phrase, one another. Love one another, agree with one another, live in harmony with one another, forgive one another, serve one another. 
And if we follow these 35 instructions completely, we will have complete unity in Christ. And we can draw people to Christ when they see him and his love in us. And we can be the answer to Jesus' prayer for unity. So I was gonna go through and talk about each one of the one another's. Um, and I'm game for that if you guys want to, but there's 35 of them. And that's 60 scriptures. And I mean, I already emailed them to you. So if we spend five minutes on each one, that puts us out of church around four o'clock, maybe 4.15 today. And you've got the list. You've got a Bible, right? You can look them up. Um, but I, I mean, we'll do it the American way. We'll vote, okay? So how many of you say, yeah, option one, let's have a full-blown talk about each of the one another's and we're out of here at 4.15, maybe 4.30. Thanks, Jade. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> You've been asleep since I started. What are you talking about? Okay, how many of you say, how about we just kind of skim through them real quick and then we'll look at one more thing from Jesus. We're out here at 1020. Boom, yeah, the people have spoken. So that's, that's, that's what we'll do. So I've got this little document here. Where's my, here it is. And I emailed this to you so you can look them up. Make sure I didn't make these up. Um, this, is, this is 35 instructions. If we want unity in the church, it's all about how we treat one another. And the first one's a big one. It's to love one another. There's 14 verses in the New Testament that say love one another. And the one we just read, John 13, uh, uh, 34, Jesus said, as I have loved you, you're also to love one another. Romans 12 says, love one another with brotherly affection. Romans 13, eight says, oh, oh no one anything except to love one another. First uh, Thessalonians, may the Lord make you increase and abound in your love for one another. Um, Peter says, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. First John 4, 7, brothers, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Um, second John, and now I ask you, not as though I'm writing you a new commandment, but the one we've had from the beginning, that we love one another over and over and over in the New Testament. This is the command, man. Do you want unity in the church? If you want unity in your community, it starts with this instruction to love one another, but there's a whole bunch of them. There's a whole bunch of one another. 2 Corinthians 13, 11 says, agree with one another. Romans 12, and again in Romans 15, it says, live in harmony with one another. Mark 9 says, be at peace with one another. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another. Ephesians uh, 4.30 and Colossians 3.13 says, forgive one another. Uh, James, a couple of times says, do not speak evil against one another. Do not grumble against one another. Uh, Romans 12 says, we should honor one another. James 5 says, we should pray for one another. First Thessalonians says, we should build up one another. Uh, Hebrews 3.13 says, we should root for one another, exhort one another. Um, First Thessalonians, a couple of times, and in Hebrew it says we should encourage one another. Um, Romans 16, 1 Corinthians 16, 2 Corinthians 13, and 1 Peter 5 says we should greet one another. And you know what's weird about this? All of them say kissing. Apparently they were just making that all the time in the New Testament, man. <laughs> greet one another with a holy kiss. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Greet one another with the kiss of love. So don't get carried away now. Because remember last week we talked about the transcendent truth, right? The transcendent truth is not necessarily, it might be a fist bump, right? It might be a handshake, it might be a hug, but the transcendent truth in this is, whether it's kissing or whatever it is, we should I'm get a lot of trouble with the youth group on this, Jorge, so just make sure you get ready to back this up. 
It's not all about kissing. Uh, that we should greet one another. Um, Romans 15, 7, we should welcome one another. 1 Peter 4, 9, we should show hospitality to one another. Um, Ephesians and in Colossians, it says we should bear with one another. Bear with, one, like put up with each other. We should be patient with each other. Um, Galatians 6 says we should bear one another's burdens. So when you're struggling, you're lifting something that's too heavy for you, I should get under it with you and help bear your burden. Second uh, Corinthians, we should comfort one another. First Corinthians, we should care for one another. Peter says we should be humble towards one another. Ephesians says we should submit to one another. James says we should confess our sins to one another. First John says we should have fellowship with one another. Romans says we should instruct one another. Colossians says we should teach and admonish one another. Ephesians 5 says we should sing with one another. Hebrews says we should stir up one another to love and good works. 1 Thessalonians says we should do good to one another. Uh, Galatians 5.13 and 1 Peter 4 says we should serve one another. John 13.14 says we should wash one another's feet. Again, transcendent truth. What does that mean? It means I'm going to humble myself in front of you, that I'm going to serve you. Um, we should wait for one another. We should speak the truth to one another. We should not judge one another. We should not provoke one another. We should not envy one another. Clearly, the most common thing in this is that we should love one another, but all of these instructions are about loving one another because God's commands, Jesus said, could be summed up in loving God and loving one another. So if everybody, by the power of the Holy Spirit, follows these biblical instructions, we will have complete, perfect unity in our community. And I'm gonna tell you something, that's gonna happen. That's gonna happen someday. Is this that day? Do we have it now? We, we don't. We don't have it. Someday we will. When Jesus comes back and makes all things new, we will have perfect unity in our community. But we don't have it now. And you know how you can tell? Because some people, not you guys, but like in the second service, this is going to shock you guys, but some people, even though they claim to be Jesus followers, and some people, even though they claim to be following the Bible, some people are not following all these instructions about how to treat one another. Shocking, huh? So we occasionally have these times where instead of loving one another and agreeing with one another and encouraging one another, living in harmony with one another, people hurt one another and lie to one another, lie about one another and discourage one another and sin against one another. So. How are we going to handle that? How, how, how do we keep unity in our community? What if, what if somebody, instead of one anothering me, what if, instead of loving me, what if somebody punches me? What if somebody flirts with my wife? What if somebody says bad things about me? What if somebody lies to me? What if somebody eats the last donut that I wanted? What if somebody steals from me? What do we, what do, we do when I'm just one another and everybody? but somebody doesn't want another me. Like, how do, how do we handle that? And I want to tell you that Jesus actually gives us a recipe for reconciliation. Jesus gives us great instructions for restoration and unity when people fail us, when people hurt us, when people sin against us. And before we dig in to this recipe for reconciliation, I think there's something we should think about, and that's this. That's what Jesus wants. 
Jesus wants reconciliation. Jesus wants restoration. Jesus wants unity in the church. And if that's what you want when someone sins against you, then I'm fixing to give you his recipe. But we might want to start with a little self-reflection first. Because if what you really want is revenge, if what you really want is to hurt the person back who hurt you first, if what you really want is to take something from them, then Jesus' recipe for reconciliation is as useless to you as a recipe for cookies when you're trying to make meatballs. Does that make sense? If, if that's not what you want, then if somebody's hurt you and what you really want is not reconciliation and you don't care about unity in the church and reflecting Jesus to the world and answering his prayer for unity, what you really want is revenge. What you really want is to hurt them because they hurt you, then I'll give you a recipe for that right quick. Um, talk bad about them. That's always fun, right? Um, post bad stuff about them on social media. That is awesome. I highly recommend that one. Um, if you can get really close to them, punch them in the neck. That's always a good one. Um, vandalize their car. Everybody hates that. That's an awesome one. Um, I wrote some, poison their pet. That's a beauty. If you can get really close, give them a wedgie. There's lots of things. There's lots of, honestly, you probably don't need help with revenge. But if what you want is restoration, if you, what you want is reconciliation, if what you really want is what Jesus wants, unity in the church, Here's the recipe. It's Matthew 18, verse 15. This is Jesus talking. He says, if another believer sins against you, there's a couple things about this before we get too deep. This recipe is for other believers who sin against you. So this doesn't work with unbelievers because this is to restore unity and our unity is in Christ. So people who are not in Christ, we can never have complete unification with them. Does that make sense? This is why we're not supposed to be unequally yoked with people that aren't believers. So this is just if another believer sins against you. Also, this only applies if someone sins against you, not if they bug you, right? Not if they irritate you, not if they, you disagree with something that they're doing. Um, it's, if it's just that, if it's just that they bother you or you don't like them or they've done something to irritate you, then you need to refer back to the one another's. Right? Be patient with one another, bear with one another, be humble with one another, don't judge one another, don't provoke one another. If it's just that they bother you, if it's just that you don't like them, if it's just they make decisions you don't approve of, then you can go back to the one another list and you don't need to follow this recipe. This recipe is for believers who sin and sin against you. You with me? Go like this and I'll keep going. Listen, it's gonna be a hard one today. I'm just telling you right now, it's gonna be a hard one. So let's stay with me. Let's stay engaged, nod, smile. You don't have to mean it, just smile. to Give me some encouragement, okay? Okay, but if another, this is Jesus, this is Jesus. If another believer sins against you, Jesus says, go privately to them and point out the offense. And if the other person listens and confesses it, and you've won that person back. Jesus is really smart, man really smart because he knows that the best reconciliation opportunity, our best hope for making this thing work, our best chance for somehow reconciling is one-on-one. -on -one. Because right now there's, there's less, there's not a lot of pride involved. Nobody's really embarrassed. We don't have all the confusion of everybody's opinions and all that stuff. So if you sin against me and I start telling other people how bad you are and now you start telling everybody how bad I am, 
the odds of reconciliation decrease exponentially, right? Every, every person that comes into the conversation is one less chance that this is gonna work out because if it's just you and me, if it's just you and me, then we, maybe we can work it out and maybe we can move on. But if it's me and my three or four friends versus you and your three or four friends, there is just, well, mathematically, I guess there's about a one-sixteenth chance, right? It's about one-sixteenth as likely that we're gonna have reconciliation when we brought four people and four people instead of just two people. Basically, every time another person hears about it, the chances for reconciliation goes down. Do you follow that reasoning? Do you understand why Jesus said this? Because this is really important. Do you understand? Go like this. Yep, we get it. Okay, good. Jesus knew the best chance for reconciliation is one-on-one. So let's, 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 do, let's have a demonstration. So I need a volunteer. Mike, stand up. So let's just say Mike has hurt me. He sinned against me. He's offended me. What should we say he did? Doesn't matter. What? What? <laughs> I got stole the donut and what, killed the dog? Okay, he killed my dog. Okay, we'll get that. I think that'll work in this. Let's just, we'll, we'll find out. I mean, we'll find out. Okay, so what this is saying is if he, he did this thing, what I should do is I should first of all go to him and say, Mike, why, you, you shouldn't do that. You, you've hurt me. You've offended me. You killed my dog. Please don't kill my dog anymore. <laughs> right? If I get another dog, don't kill that dog. And then what Jesus says, if, if that, if he says, you know what, I don't know what I was thinking, man. I don't know. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have killed your dog. I won't kill your dog anymore. Then what? We're done, right? We never speak of it again. It is over. We're reconciled. We're friends again. We hug it out. Everything is great. Okay, you can sit down, but don't get comfortable because I'm going to have you stand back up in a second, okay? Okay, but what if he says, you know what, I don't care if it hurts you. I meant to hurt you, and when you get another dog, I'm gonna kill it too. Okay, well, now, now, now he's got free will, right? So he could do that. So if that happens, we have to go to step two of Jesus' recipe. This is verse 16, if you're unsuccessful, right? If he repents and we make nice, then great, we're done. But if we're unsuccessful, then we're to take two or one or two others with me and go back again so that everything I say can be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Okay, so let me get, let me get two people. Okay, stand back up. He's offended me. He's offended me. And, and Jan and Rob, you guys stand up. So what's going to happen is I'm going to go to Jan and Rob, and I'm going to say, look, Mike killed my dog. Wasn't that awful. Will you come with me and let's go talk to him, and maybe there's still a chance for reconciliation. Maybe he just thinks I'm a weirdo, and he's not taking me seriously, but surely if two people, two spirit-filled, loving people, gently come to him and say, you shouldn't kill Larry's dogs anymore, surely, then he'll, he'll, he'll see that. And listen, there's two reasons for this, because here's what might happen. Jan and Rob might say to me, you know what, Larry, you're right, man. He should not have killed your dog, and we're going to go to him and tell him that, and maybe we can reason with him, and maybe we can bring back unification, and we can reconcile this thing. Or they might say, no, Larry, you're wrong. Right? This is why people don't like this step, right? Because there's a chance that I'm going to say, Mike did this horrible thing to me, and they're going to say, well, no, actually, that's not what happened. You let your wild, ravenous dog loose in his yard, so he had to kill it to protect his children, I don't know, I just made that part up. Something like that, right? Maybe they're gonna say, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. So that's why nobody likes this particular step. 
Okay, so while you guys are standing up, this is a really important thing to see. You guys with me on the steps? You see what's happening? Okay, so right now, so far, let's count the people that I've told about this. Shall we count together? One, two, three. The end. The end. If I tell anybody else about it, that is the definition of gossip. And I've become just as big a problem in unification of our church. I've become just as big a hindrance to the prayers of Jesus. I have just stepped out against people seeing Jesus in me and being drawn to him. I've done just as much to hurt all of those causes as he has. Do you see that? You got to nod or I won't go. Yes. Okay, very good. Okay, you guys, please have a seat. Thank you. Don't get comfortable. Okay. Imagine, if you would, that I went to Jan and I said, can you believe what a jerk Mike is? He did this horrible thing. And she goes, oh, Larry, before you go any further, are you asking me to go with someone else as a brother and sister in Christ and try to reconcile with him? And I say, uh, <laughs> well, no, I just wanted to trash Mike, right? You see, you see why we don't have, this is why we, and, and so what do we say? We say, just, I just want you to pray with me, right? Which is usually garbage. Right? It's usually really just, I don't want to do the right thing. I don't want to try to work for unity and reconciliation. I just, want to, I just want to gossip. I just want to tell everybody how bad he is. You guys following me? I told you it was going to be hard. You got to nod if you want me to keep going. Okay, all right, here we go. So now a couple of people have gone with me, and we have prayerfully and gently tried to restore him, and we've tried to make friends. And if he says, oh, my gosh, now that you two have talked to me, that really makes sense. I, I see now I should not have killed his dog, and I'm really sorry that I did it, and I'm not going to kill his dog anymore. Then, then what? We're done. We're done. There's no reason to ever talk about it again. We hug it out. We reconcile. We are back to unity. If he doesn't do that, then we go to step three. Verse 17 says, if the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. So, okay, stand back up, stand back up. So now Mike killed my dog. I went and talked to Mike. He won't listen. I brought in two spirit-filled, loving people to gently, persuasively tell him, hey, man, let's make this thing right. But he just is not having it. He will not do it. So now I need to go to the church. So I need a, a Jorge, stand up, a pastor at our church. And the thinking here, I think, is surely if an elder, surely if a pastor says to him, Mike, you got to quit killing Larry's dog, surely he'll listen to that. And if, and if he does, what happens? We're done. It's over. We hug it out. Reconciliation, restoration, unity is restored to our community. If he accepts it. If he doesn't, then it gives us some more. Okay, you guys can sit down. Thank you. Then if he won't do that, it says if, if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. So quick sidebar, stand back up, stand back up. <laughs> stand back up. Okay, let's, how many people have been talked to about this so far? Let's count, shall we? One, And I already knew, so that's a grand total of five people. If I discuss it with anybody else, other than the people that did it, the people that I intend to take with me to talk to the people that did it, and an elder or a pastor in my church, I am the definition of gossip. And I am just as big a part of the problem as he is. You with me? Keep nodding, man. Keep nodding, because we don't want to drag this one out. This is a hard one, right? Okay, you guys can sit down now. 
I think. We'll see. Okay, so really truthfully, at this stage, Jesus knew one-on-one was best, right? So at this stage, reconciliation is really hard because now pride is in the way and, you know, four or five people know about it. There was a way better chance for us to make this right when it was just one-on-one. That's why we go one-on-one first because that's our first best chance. And, and there's, there's still a chance. Even if we get to this stage, there's, there's still a chance. Nothing's impossible with God. But if, if he still refuses to reconcile, church leadership may want to consider some sort of biblical church discipline or even asking him to leave the church if he's an ongoing threat to church unity or to the church's mission. Okay, you guys with me? Okay, so this says, if they won't reconcile, we should treat him like a pagan. We should treat him like an unbeliever. So if somebody sins against you and they go through the whole process and they won't reconcile, we treat them as a pagan. Um, Do you have any pagans in your neighborhood? Unbelievers? Do you have any unbelievers in your family? Do you have any unbelievers in your family? Okay, so how, how do you treat them? You hate them? You trash them? What'd you say? We pray for them. We love them. Right? We try to model the love of Christ for them. We, we hope that they come back to Jesus, but we do it from a safe distance. Right? This is the way we're to behave with people that are not in our church, people that are not in our family. We still love them and pray for them. We want the best for them, but because they're not in our body, because they're not in our family, our boundaries for them are a little thicker. Yeah? So how can I know if, if my heart is right? And I can't do anything about him. He's a dog murderer, okay? That's his deal. That's between him and Jesus right there. That's that, I can't do anything about it. He's hardened his heart or whatever. I, but, but how can I know if, if my heart is right? And if I'm one another in the way that I'm supposed to, or if I'm part of the problem, is, is what I want what Jesus wants? Do I really want reconciliation? Do I really want unity in the church? Or, or do I want revenge? And one of the best tests, I can't make him comply, but I can check my own heart. And one of the best ways to check my heart is this. If I have prayerfully and humbly and gently gone through this whole process, I've done it exactly like Jesus said, and I've not told anyone else about his sin except the people Jesus told me to tell about his sin in this recipe, there's a pretty good chance that I'm working towards unity and I'm working towards reconciliation and I am an answer to Jesus' prayer for unity and I'm drawing the world to him by modeling his love. But if I've told anybody else, I need to examine my own heart. Maybe I'm not as focused as Jesus calls me to be on reconciliation. Maybe I don't value unity as much as Jesus does. Maybe I'm not one anothering as well as I thought I was. Maybe I'm part of the problem. So this, it's hard, right? Is anybody having fun today? Nobody, right? It's hard, but, you know, Romans, Romans tells us that God works all things for good, right? All things for good. Even him killing my dog, right? Because this might be a good chance for me to see God working things for good. It, it might be somebody, sent, maybe somebody can see the love in me by the way I treat him after that 
and that can draw them to Jesus, right? Or maybe this would be a chance for me to hold Jesus and his word up in front of me as a mirror and ask myself, like, where am I at? Right? Maybe this is a sanctification moment for me. For me to ask, you know, I want to examine my words. I want to examine my thoughts. I want to examine my heart. How many of you still love me after all that? A couple, so that's good. Uh, and I don't want you to hear this wrong because I know this is, this is tough, man. This is tough. You want to talk about spiritual maturity? Right? You want to talk about Christ-likeness? This is high-level stuff. This is really hard really hard, especially when somebody really hurts me, but it's not impossible because the same spirit that lived in Jesus and empowered him to forgive people while they were torturing him to death, right? That same spirit lives inside of me and through him, all things are possible. Um, Philippians 4.13 says, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength, even one-anothering people, even one-anothering people that are a pain in the butt, even following this recipe, that Jesus has given us for reconciliation. Ephesians 3.20 says, God is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think, even one anothering each other, even following this recipe. Jesus prayed that we'd have unity. And that means that we're doing all the one another's. And that means when that breaks down, we follow his recipe for reconciliation and restoration. And both of those things are really hard. Both of those things are really hard. In fact, they're impossible. They'll take a miracle. But that's okay, because God's good at those. So here's a special case. What if they hurt me so badly that I just can't go back to them? Right? Or what if, I'm, what if I'm afraid of him? What if I'm afraid to be with him? How can I, he's killed my dog, maybe I'm next, right? What if I really, literally can't be with him? I can't go to him that's, that's, a, that's a fair question. I mean, if you're just not able to take these steps because it's dangerous for you or because you're just too crushed by them, then what you can do is do all you can do. Look at Romans 12, 17. Never pay back evil with more evil. You can do that. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you're honorable. Here we go. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. And maybe all you can do is refuse to resort to revenge or gossip. Maybe all you can do is keep a peaceful distance from them. Um, but one thing you can try to do with his help is to forgive. The, the most, I'd say arguably the most Christ-like thing there is that you can do is to forgive. And so on that, let me just say, in a couple of weeks, I'm praying about a couple of sermons on forgiveness and I'm gonna give you just a little preview. Um, a couple things about forgiveness. If you've really been crushed by the behaviors of someone else, um, here's what we'll learn in this um, couple of week series we're gonna do. Forgiveness is not tolerance. Forgiveness is not acceptance of bad behavior. Forgiveness is not forgetting what they did. Forgetting is not denying their sin or their fault. It's not, it's not denying your pain. It's not always staying in the relationship. Forgiveness is not always even ever talking to them again. And here's an important one. Forgiving is not really for them. Yeah. 
It's for you. And it's for your future. And if you can't wait for those sermons, it's for four weeks, then I'll just tell you that other than the Bible, I would say the definitive written work on forgiveness is a book called The Art of Forgiveness by Lewis Smedes. I will virtually just preach that book in a couple of weeks. So if you're in a situation where you can't wait and you've got to get to the bottom of this forgiveness thing, I really recommend this book, The Art of Forgiveness. So I might want to check that out. So if we want to follow the New Testament model of following Jesus in community, if we want to follow the command of Jesus to love one another like he loved us, if we want people to be drawn to Jesus through us because they see his love in us, then we're going to depend on his spirit to empower us to do two impossible things. Number one, we start with the one another's. That's actually 35 things, right? And then number two, or number 36, depending on how you look at it, is when a brother or sister sins against us, and they will, and they will, we're gonna set aside gossip, we're gonna set aside hate, we're gonna set aside revenge, and we're gonna follow Jesus' recipe for reconciliation. And thereby, we are going to reflect his world, his love to the world around us. We're gonna become his ambassadors to this broken world, and we're gonna become an answer to Jesus' prayer. That we would be not perfect, that we would be not smart, that we would be not moral, that we would be one, that we'd have unity in our community. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's pray. Jesus, thank you. you. Man, you call us to hard stuff. You call us to even impossible stuff. Thank you, because from Genesis 1, you've wanted a partnership with us where you call us to do things and you empower us to do those things. So thank you, Jesus. You've given us your word and, and shown us how to love one another and how to reconcile when people do us wrong. Thank you, Jesus, that you've given us a perfect model through your life of how to forgive and how to reconcile. Thank you, Jesus, that you've given us your spirit to empower us to, to love one another well, to follow all of those instructions and even when people treat us wrong, that we're able to go back to them and work towards reconciliation. Thank you, Jesus, for calling us to unity, for calling us to a family, for calling us to a community, and for showing us how to take care of it. In your name, amen. Okay, babies are crying. Listen, if you're a volunteer and you need to get to a station, this is your 30-second head start. Everybody else, just be cool. I'm gonna give you a couple of announcements while they all scoot out. Would you guys clap and cheer for our volunteers? They're awesome. They have work to do now. A couple of uh, announcements for the rest of us. Um, the baby bottle boomerang is going on in the lobby right now. And this is for the care center. It's our uh, local pregnancy care center. And so if you'd like to help them with financial contributions, you can go out there, turn left. They'll tell you about their upcoming banquet. And you can take a baby bottle and fill it up with nickels and dimes and pennies and quarters and checks and $1,000 bills or whatever and bring it back uh, next week. Great thing to do with your kids. Um, if you're a man, our men's retreat is coming up March 1st through March 3rd. You can go out those doors. There's a table over there and you can get registered for that. If you'd like to be baptized, we're having baptisms next weekend. So stop at the Connection Center. Tell them that you want to be baptized. And then next week, I want to tell you, I'm very excited about the series we're going to start talking about our identity as a church and our calling as a church. We're going to spend a few weeks talking about who God is calling us to be and what God is calling us to do.
So if this is your home church, please try to be here the next five weeks. That's it. God bless you guys. We'll see you then.